welcome to the Therapy for Nerds podcast. This podcast is of licensed mental health professionals linking pop culture to mental health. The information presented in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be used in place of mental health treatment or other services. We do go into details regarding the media we discuss, so please know that there may be spoilers ahead, especially if that piece of media is in our episode title. Please note all our opinions are our own. Hello, welcome to Therapy for Nerds. I am Cassidy along with Abby Ronquillo and Katie Fussy. And today we are talking about gaming disorder. Who wanted to start with the article that we, we were able to find and all took a look at? Yeah, uh, Cassie, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but um, you know, this is something that Cassie had found um, a couple of weeks ago, and the entitlement was Expert Appraisal of Criteria for Assessing Gaming Disorder, um, which was done by the Delphi um, Community Study. And it's, it's fairly new, actually. It came out in January or was published in January of this year. So I feel like it's um, fairly new information, especially when we're talking about the DSM-5. A lot of the the newer diagnoses, I guess, are, are kind of coming out with these types of studies, I've noticed, that aren't necessarily long, like, was that what they're called, longitudinal studies? These are like, or more like short-term studies. So um, I did my own research trying to like find more information about um, gaming disorder, but there really isn't that much out there. Yeah, and it was, it was very interesting because the idea of this, this article is that they did a, um, you know, they kind of took a bunch of clinicians who were really studying this, people who had a background in, in trying to understand and create a diagnostic criteria for this. And the, the study was looking at what they believe to be traits of what could be considered like a, a gaming, internet gaming disorder or gaming disorder, and what those traits would actually be, because there was a lot of criticism that as of right now, the, the criteria that are met within the DSM where, where a lot of these diagnoses come from can be pathologizing of things that aren't necessarily problematic where I could see like healthy enjoyment of gaming as being like overused or a little pathologized. And that's the idea was to gather that information from these different clinicians to make a little bit more of a, a clear picture as to what we see as actually being problematic behavior in this regard. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of the symptoms that they said of the gaming disorder were, um, you know, a, a decline in grades, um, addictive properties or behaviors, as well as um, some like psychopathological behaviors, but they didn't really specify which kinds, um, which I thought were, you know, starting off that those are very broad ways of describing somebody's symptoms. You know, when we analyze and we look for individuals or trying to diagnose, a lot of times there is overlap when it comes to these different um, symptoms. They, they can mean a lot of things. The decline in grades is often, you know, especially in that kind of age range, under 21, we look at, um, that could be depression, anxiety, uh, fam familial problems. So, you know, it was very difficult for me to read that and kind of identify that specifically for this issue that they're trying to create a diagnosis for. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like I used to work at a school, so I worked with kids with IEPs and I had kids that had like just terrible grades. Like I had a kid who had a 3% in one of their, in one of their classes and it, yeah, they liked video games. So are we going to classify that as just gaming addiction? Like, 
there's a lot of other things going on with that kid, including a lot of more like oppositional, like defiant kind of behavior. So labeling it as gaming disorder seems very disingenuous to me. Also in preparation for this, I, I'm taking the, the geek therapeutics training to become a certified geek therapist. And one of the trainings that was offered was this like take on gaming addiction, which I thought was, was really interesting. And they brought up just the issues with a lot of the research that's been done about video games, both good and bad research, uh, like pro video games and anti video game research, both they have a lot of flaws. And so a lot of this, like what we're talking about, I don't want to completely discount that there could be a gaming disorder. But I also don't want to like push that upon kids when there's other things that could better describe what they're going through. Yeah, you're completely you're right. I think, um, you know, even when you're looking at the findings of the study, it was very difficult for um, for them to agree or come to a conclusion in regards to if this is something that's uh, diagnosable or not, especially because I think of exactly what you're saying. It, it can come from a lot of different places. And a lot of times when we look at maybe somebody who's isolating even, right? So if you're playing a lot of video games by yourself, that's usually a symptom of something else as opposed to that being the actual problem. That's something that people use to, not everybody, of course, but uh, I would say a large portion of the population, especially children, use that as um, a tool or technique, a coping mechanism to really like re uh, reduce whatever else is going on in their environment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to consider these pieces in, in the framework of the context for which they're showing up because there could be this piece of this is a, a, a coping mechanism that may be being used pretty heavily right now, but looking at the environment this individual may be in, it, it, it could make kind of sense in that situation. But I, I think what really stood out to me is that in this article, like they were taking all these different pieces of things that we have seen that could meet this criteria and really saying like, what does this look like? Like, is this realistic to say that this is actually problematic? Because like, I, I know one of the criteria with it was preoccupation, like, you know, for like the DSM, you have to meet like a certain number of different criteria in order for it to meet, uh, to say it's like an actual impairment or it meets the criteria for this disorder. And one of them was preoccupation. And I thought that was so interesting because having a, a, a very engaged interest in games could be considered criteria for a disorder. And I, I think that that was one of the things they were saying is like, how do we find that distinction between like someone who's very much into games and really enjoys it and someone who's actually having like a, a problematic relationship with games? And I think that that issue is also doubled when you pair that with the fact that a lot of therapists tend to be older and a lot of therapists didn't tend to have grown up playing video games. I'm not saying that's, all therapists, obviously we three are all therapists that played video games when we were growing up. So that's not true for everyone, but it that becomes an issue when you have therapists that have no experience playing video games, putting their views and their biases into giving this kind of a diagnosis. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Cassie talked about something really important here and that's uh kind of coming to the importance of um, 
intersections and like cultural differences and identifying this not only as like a generational thing potentially right older therapists don't necessarily uh, understand that that this type of population or had grown up with video games however this is part of the generation this is part of the like intergenerational work that we do and you know when we sometimes they talk about social media and this aspect of like TikTok and, and musically and all that other stuff and kind of identifying how important this is for um, for our clients or just people in general. And I think that this, you know, video games get a very similar bad rep for it of like this, we don't understand this. So it's, it's a bad thing. And we've talked about that on previous episodes in regards to the different laws that had been made um, around policing video games. And yeah, I think it's just really, I think it's really misunderstood. And going back to what uh, Katie was saying in regards to, you know, is this something that they're really passionate about? Is this a hobby versus something that's not healthy or, or there's like bad boundaries around it. I think it's very, very hypocritical in our society that we are identifying video games this way, but other hobbies, especially, you know, I don't know, traditionally uh, music, right, or, or sports of some sort. A lot of times parents are very pushy about those things, right, things that can get them scholarships or whatever in, in the future. And they'll say like, play piano eight days, you know, eight days or seven days a week for eight hours every day. Is that not addictive or is that not a, an issue of playing too much? Is that not an issue of that could cause them to have um, some of these other symptoms of like declining grades or um, uh, addic addictive properties of like having to re repeat things over and over again? I mean, I think you can really apply this type of behavior to, to other things. It doesn't have to be games necessarily. Yeah, where is the line when we start applying this addiction language to a hobby like do we start calling running addicting because I know a lot of people that love running that's like you know they talk about it for hours they spend all this money on marathons and signing up for that next 5k and getting the new pair of running shoes that they need so where are we not labeling that an addiction because we as a society have labeled that as a, a healthy addiction? It's still a preoccupation and they still have their life impacted in some way. So like, I'm not out here saying that you shouldn't run because if you love running, go ahead and do it. I personally can't, but like, if you can power to you. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's tricky. And I, I think that's why it was, it's so important that there is this work being done to try to understand it. And that there is conversation about it before it's something that really starts getting a, a even more widespread use and labeling and diagnostic criteria, because really it, it is about like, what is the impact of it on someone's life? Like if they are enjoying it, if it's not impacting their relationships, it's not impacting school or work. Um, it's not, you know, kind of like taking more space in their life than is appropriate, would it meet criteria? And I think that's what the big question is. Would someone who was in a position like that where it wasn't creating a negative impact on their life, would they inadvertently get labeled with this disorder because of the way the criteria system set up? And, and I know within our, our field, there's this idea of we define if something is, is problematic based on the impact on their lives. Like, is there an impairment in like a functional impairment? Is it creating negative situations they're getting into? Is it creating distress for them, for the people around them? And are they able to have that ability to pause as needed? And, and I think it's really important that we're just aware of these pieces and that more work is being done to understand like, what is the line? Where is this 
appropriate because I know escapism is another piece that comes up a lot for it. And it's like that can be said about a lot of different things people use as escapes. Like how oftentimes do we not hear about self-care activities that are a form of escapism and, and just because it's maybe a little bit more time consumed or like uh, constrained or it fits into a, a more socially um, accepted activity that it's different. And I, I think that's just important is the big differences there. With all of this in mind and how our general thoughts all seem to be pretty similar, would either of you ever consider giving this kind of a diagnosis in the future? If this were to become a diagnosable code in the DSM-6? Personally, I, I feel like it's, it's too rigid right now. And I think that it needs a lot more work or a lot more unbiased um, studies done on the particular subject or for them to change the language and the criteria for it completely um, and maybe opening it up not just to video games but other types of, of behaviors or hobbies um, because as Katie was saying when we talk about um, impact right or how how certain diagnoses impact our ability to function in whatever ways I think a lot of people take their hobbies whether that's running or video games or something else and they are able to turn that into a part of their lifestyle or a part of their um, their way of social being. So I don't know if that's necessarily us as clinicians. I don't know if that's our job to to police that or tell them how they can put that as a part of their life. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point because it comes up, the idea comes up to me of like, how are we able to make a clinical diagnosis or a clinical impression of what is a passion versus a problem for someone? Like, how are we able to make that differential diagnosis? And it can be very challenging. And where we are right now, it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm being able to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, in talking about the idea of making a diagnosis of this in a clinical setting, I really feel like it's and this is just kind of how I, I tend to operate. Usually it's like, I want to make sure if I'm going to make a diagnosis, something like this, where we are, we are ascribing a name to a situation for someone, I, I want to make sure I understand it fully. And I think, you know, because this is still in kind of its earlier stages of development, I wouldn't feel like I'd have the appropriate information I need to be able to make that diagnosis to really understand it. So I, I think before I'd even get to that point, I want to do a lot more research and be able to have a lot better grasp on what this means and the impact of a kind of diagnosis like this so that I would be able to make a, a fully formed decision about that. You know, and, and following along those lines in regards to any diagnosis, I really implore the person being diagnosed and or the family to kind of look at it and identify whatever the diagnosis and if it really truly fits. Because we can look at some of these symptoms and, and you know, list them off and say, okay, it sounds like you have depression, it sounds like you have ODD, it sounds like this, but truly, you know, we might not truly know what that person is dealing with unless they can really be transparent about a lot of those things. So, you know, always do your own research as well. Um, I always tell parents that as, you know, when, when we're dealing with these types of things, um, look at how it fits for your child and or for yourself. I love that, Abby. And like, I totally agree with that. Um, I've gone through the list of diagnosis criteria with clients before, and it can be really helpful for clients to see, oh, I'm not just lazy for this. It's actually a symptom of this. Like it, it can be so eye-opening for clients to have that reference to 
to be able to say like, oh no, this isn't just me. This is my depression or something along those lines. Um, and I, I definitely like what both of you were saying about your hesitancy to give that kind of a diagnosis. Cause I've had parents, cause I do a lot of work with teenagers. I have parents that come in and they're like, my child is addicted to video games. And I'm like, are they though? Are they? And I totally get it if they're like stealing your credit card and, you know, spending hundreds of hundreds of dollars on Fortnite or Roblox. Like I, I get wanting to jump to that. And yeah, I can see why you would, uh, but I would definitely want to talk and see if there's anything else going on, like if there's any other criteria that they fit, like do they fit for depression? Do they fit for anxiety? What else is going on in their lives? Yeah, but I, I think I think a lot of really important points came up today, you know, and the idea of this is still something new. It's still something that we're all learning about. And here we are, even as clinicians, like discussing like what what does this look like? And the work is being done. And I think really at the end of the day, it is about like asking those questions, making sure like both as a clinician, both as you know, someone who's receiving that support, like you're asking questions, you're learning more um, and also recognizing that things change over time and there's more research that'll be coming up. And, and actually in that vein, like at the end of our time today, like what do we feel like is the research that we wanna see going forward to be able to expand on this? There's so much research I would love to be seeing done on video games. Uh, one that I tried looking up recently because I wanted to like write a blog post about it was like how video game music can be helpful. Like there was that whole use Mario Kart to help get your homework done, like the music to help you get your homework done craze that was on TikTok. And like I have done very similar things where I have listened to primarily Breath of the Wild, like that soundtrack, I just, I can set to anything and be able to do it. I'd love to see more research done on, on the music so that I could actually write that blog post and not just use like random research about other things and say that it applies to video games. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to see research done on loot boxes. I'd love to see research done on anything but violence, like anything but does video games cause violence? Because we, we that's very tired at this point and we've mm -hmm. found no connection. We're not going to find a connection. So let's mm -hmm. just pack up and move on. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's such a, I think research in itself is a very nuanced, and, and very interesting, um, you know, kind of line of work because there is this degree of like the questions that are raised through research, someone has to raise them. Somebody has to be willing to put in the work to, to answer these questions. Um, and I think for me in, in talking about what I would like to see, like obviously I'd love to see a further refinement of, of the criteria for this because it, it is in those working stages. And I think there's a lot of really good work being done around that. And, you know, I think I maybe have mentioned this before, but the idea of like, how can video games be used to benefit people? Like what are the opportunities that can come from it? And I know there is some work that has been going into that. And I know 
uh, the idea of like VR and how that can be even used in a, like a therapeutic context to help people. But I really want to see like, what are the opportunities that we can be getting from using this kind of uh, technology and, and being able to help people like both in a clinical setting and outside of that? I, the, big, the biggest part of this, I think, is just being unbiased about the sample size and the sample that they use. Because it seems like it's not really, you know, it's not really, really well flushed out in this particular article. Um, and then also kind of identifying the different types of video games or being more explicit about what video, the criteria is for a video game. Because we've talked about that in a different episode. And we've talked about how like video games can be implemented in so many different ways now, or games can be implemented in so many things. So I think they just need to be a lot more concise and clear about how they do the research so you can get better results. I like that. Yeah, that's very true. All right, so basically more research needs to get done before we believe that that should be a diagnosis. I think we're all in pretty much agreement for that. Work in progress, figuring yeah. it out. Thank you for listening to the Therapy for Nerds podcast. If you liked this episode, hit the like and subscribe buttons and go follow us on social media so you can stay up to date on all the latest nerdy therapy news. If you have a request for a topic or are interested in possibly being a guest on a future episode, please contact us through our website, therapyfornerds.com. Thank you again for listening and remember to be kind to yourselves this week.